You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. One of the highlights is a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and I do a little Bible study, and every time I give an opportunity at the end of the Bible study for anybody that's got the faith to step out of the boat and try to walk on the water. I haven't had one taker, including myself, in all these years. But if Jesus says, come, you got to step out of the boat. And if you don't step out of the boat, you won't walk on water. Now, that real-life story has a ton of applications, and I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be saying to some here today. And you're in a situation, and here's your security. You're in the boat, but God's saying, no, you want to see the miraculous, step out of the boat. If you want to see the miraculous, step out of the boat. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us about strengthening our faith. Oftentimes, we don't see miracles in our lives because of our lack of belief and distrust in the Lord. When Jesus tells us through his Holy Spirit to step out in faith, we need to step out. If we continue to stay in our boats of what we think is safety or security in our lives, we'll miss the opportunity for the miraculous. Be willing to step out of the boat. Now here's Pastor Danny with part one of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 9. To every nation for all generations Acts chapter 9, we left off verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed, had been bedridden for eight years. We don't know why he was paralyzed. We don't know what happened, but he's been this way for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. It means gazelle. I picture her as a petite young lady, especially in high school, probably a track star. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please, come at once. Peter went with them. When he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Recently at the pastor's conference in Costa Mesa, California, the pastor was teaching, referring to this passage, and he suggested that Peter send everybody out of the room before he prayed in case when he prayed, nothing happened. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. You kidding me? You imagine? He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now, if I was putting the verse 
and chapter divisions in the scriptures, I would not have put verse 43 in chapter 9. I'd have put it at the beginning of chapter 10, because here's what it says. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. That's connected with chapter 10. We'll get to that next weekend. Peter's a changed man. He's still got a ways to go. The gospel has really changed his life and continues to change his life because the old Peter would not have stayed in the home of a tanner named Simon. Why? Because it would have defiled him religiously because tanners deal a lot with dead animals. But he's a different man. And while he's with Simon the tanner, God's going to take him even further. That's chapter 10. But verses 32 to 42 have a definite and clear theme. What's the theme? Miracles. Miracles. I think this is a pretty good definition of a miracle. An event not explainable by natural or scientific laws. We serve a God of miracles. The very creation itself is a miracle. God spoke, light be, and light was. It's called the ex nihilo, I don't know if I say that correctly, nature of God. The bara nature. He creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. Now, he created us, and we are creative, very creative, even unbelievers. Look at the things we've been able to do, send people to the moon, build rockets to take them there. Artists, uh, I mean, amazing artistry and all kind of creativity, but we got to have something first. We got to have something first. But God, he knew miracles. He speaks, it is. He calls things that are not as though they are. An event not explainable by natural or scientific laws. Now, God's the one behind the natural law. Sometimes we refer, or some people refer to mother nature. Well, God's behind mother nature. He created all the scientific laws, but he can go beyond the laws and nature that he's created, he can do miracles. Now, these miracles have a particular purpose. Let me read once again verse 35. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, Aeneas, and turned to the Lord. Verse 42, this became known all over Joppa. Tabitha Dorcas was dead, and now she's alive. And many people believed in the Lord. These are Miracles that have a particular purpose, they are to testify to the truth of the gospel. They're evangelistic. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, God also testified to it. The it is in verse 3. I didn't put it there. It's the salvation first announced by the Lord. Salvation, the gospel message, Jesus, the Messiah, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the gospel message. God testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are miraculous, distributed according to his will. Testified is in the past tense. There was a special time in church history where God was doing many miracles to testify to the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm just going to be brutally honest. I usually am. I've not seen many miracles in my time as a Christian or my time as a pastor. Now, I've seen some. I've had the privilege a few times uh, to pray for people, a lot of times with other pastors or church leaders, and we pray for someone who's physically ill, and God occasionally chooses to heal them. I've seen God heal. But more often than not, when we've prayed, God hasn't chosen to heal. I've experienced God working the gift of prophesying. There's a supernatural gift of prophesying. 
just proclaiming the truth is prophesying, but there's a special supernatural gift. Years ago, I was volunteering for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was the chaplain for the football team at Northeast High School. And my wife and I lived right next to Northeast High School. And every home game, I would lead a little Bible study, and it was a voluntary thing. Any players that wanted to come could come, and then I'd pray for them for the game that night. And quite a few guys became regulars at those meetings. I told my wife, I want to get more personal with these guys and get to know them a little better. So could we have them over for a meal? She said, sure. And so I invited all the regulars. I said, here's the date. You guys come over to our house. We just live right across the street here. And uh, several of the guys said they were coming. On the day of the event, the meal, only one guy came. Everybody else had an excuse. Randy Almquist came. I'm getting to know Randy. I said, what kind of music do you like? He said, I like Guns N' Roses. I said, I'd never heard of them. I said, I used to listen to Grand Funk Railroad. Mark Farner? He said, I'd never heard of them. So we're getting to know Randy, and uh, Randy graduated, and then uh, not long after, he joined the Navy, and we lost touch. Four years later, I'm teaching at the warehouse, not in my notes, not in my thoughts, just popped into my mind. I tell the story of the night that one guy from the football team came, Randy Almquist, and I tell the story, and it had a point to it, and God just put it in my mind. After the service, guy comes walking up to me. He got short hair, didn't recognize him at first. It looked familiar, but Randy had had longer hair, and he said, I'm Randy Almquist, and he was white as a sheep. Hadn't seen him in four years. That was prophesying, true prophesying. That's miraculous. Where God was doing something in his life through that story, saying, I really am part of your life, and I know you. He never made a commitment to Christ through the times I shared Christ at those meetings or even at our house. But he joined the Navy, got stationed in San Diego. Near the end of his Navy time, he wanted to go into business, become a successful business person. He met some other young business people. They invited him to their church, Harvest Christian Fellowship, Calvary Chapel, San Diego, Pastor Mike. He got saved. And he's coming home to visit his mother in St. Pete. And he says, hey, I don't know any churches. I don't know what church to go to. You got a church you can suggest? They said they looked it up. They said, yeah, the Calvary Chapel there, Pastor Danny Hodges. He comes and it was his time here. And I prophesied not even knowing I was really prophesying. Years ago, we had a Thanksgiving outreach dinner, and we went and passed out flyers all downtown, all to the homeless people, and we arranged for vans, and we rented some vans, and we had a day schedule, and we're going to bring all these people over to the warehouse to feed them a meal and share Christ with them. We were overwhelmed. We weren't very good planners. I wasn't in those days. I just said, God laid it on my heart. Let's just do it. You guys cook some food, bring the food, you know, cook some turkeys, bring some side dishes. So we didn't know how much food was going to come. Most people brought the food and then went back home. And we had more people than the warehouse could hardly hold. And we left a lot of people downtown on the streets disappointed because we couldn't pick everybody up. Long story made short, I'm beginning to panic. We're not going to have enough food for these people. I tell all the workers, now, we wanted you guys to eat after we fed everybody, but listen, you don't eat anything. Don't eat anything. I got a few of us together, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. And we got all these people just packed in there, packed. And then we prayed for the food. And we thought it would be a good deal, good plan to have, go, go by table, you know, say, we would tell them that, you know, we pray for the food, and this table is going to be first. As soon as this table got up, the next table got up, then this table got up, and then it was like a herd of people rushing to the line. And they're taking food, going back to their table, putting it into their bags, and going and getting back in line. And I'm going, this is going to be a disaster. We fed everybody until they wanted no more. And they had all they stole in their bags. (laughs) And after everything was done, all the workers ate, and we had food left over. True story. 
With that said, and with those couple of stories, I'm going to go back and say again, I still haven't seen a lot of miracles in my time as a pastor and my life as a Christian. Why is that? That's my question. Why? Now, before we try to answer that question scripturally, let me say a couple of things that I think are important about miracles. There are degrees of miracles. Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Wouldn't you like just an ordinary one every week or two, you know? I mean, that'd be fine. But God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Praying for someone who's physically sick is on a different level than saying to Tabitha, get up. You with me? Little different levels there. I believe there's a clear connection between what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit and miracles. Jesus never performed a miracle until at his baptism in the Jordan River where he identifies with death, burial, and resurrection. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon him in power that he began to do miracles. He said in Acts 1.8 to his disciples, you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power, power, dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. I believe there's a clear connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are miraculous. Despite miracles, some people still don't believe. Isn't that incredible? Think about the miracles of Exodus. The Exodus from Egypt and all the miracles God did. And repeatedly, Pharaoh and the Egyptians hardened their heart and refused to believe. Prophets like Elijah. I mean, he's raising people from the dead, doing amazing things. And his successor, Elisha. Elisha, when Elijah's about to go to heaven, he didn't die, you know, he went to heaven in a chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire. And just before he's going to leave, he says to Elisha, anything I can do for you before I go? He says, I'd like a double portion of your blessing. He says, well, I don't know, but if you see me when I leave, you got it. If not, you don't. He saw him leave. There are twice as many recorded miracles in Elisha's ministry as in Elijah's ministry. With that said, Elijah went up In a chariot of fire, Elisha died of an unidentified illness. The Bible just says the illness that he died from. He didn't get his miracle. John 12 says this, even after Jesus had performed so many signs or miracles in their presence, they still would not believe in him. All the gospels record 37 miracles. Now, Jesus did more than that because one other verse in John says, if everything Jesus did were written down, the world didn't have, wouldn't have enough room for all the books that would be written. But 37 recorded we have in the gospels. Let me give you a, a summary, some of the things he did. What was the first one he did? First miracle. He turned water into wine. He healed lepers. He raised people from the dead. A widow's son, Lazarus. He said to a storm, Be still, and it was calm. He delivered the demon possessed. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He multiplied on more than one occasion just a little bit of food and fed thousands of people. And then his most significant miracle, he said, nobody takes my life, I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. He raised from the dead. That's his most significant miracle. Despite all the things he did, some people still don't believe Say one more thing and we'll move on to try to answer our question. Satan seeks to deceive through counterfeit miracles. God seeks to testify to the truth through the miraculous. Satan uses counterfeit miracles to try to deceive people and lead them away from the truth. Second Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He'll use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. 
and all the ways that wickedness deceives those that are perishing. Revelation tells us, and it, speaking of the it, there's the false prophet, referred to as a beast. That's the way heaven sees him, just like the Antichrist. But the world doesn't see him that way. But that's the way heaven sees him, because they are. That's their true nature. And it performed great signs, the false prophet, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to do, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. False prophet does these counterfeit miracles to cause people to bow down and worship the Antichrist. Now, how do you know if a sign, a miracle is counterfeit? How do you know? There are three biblical ways how to recognize counterfeit miracles. Number one, do they lead me away from the God of the Bible? Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. So if it leads you away from the God of the Bible, counterfeit. Second, if whoever or whatever group is behind the miraculous thing that's happening and they don't acknowledge the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, that he's God, very God, come in the flesh, the only savior of the world, counterfeit. And third, does it lead me into what the Bible would classify as sin? And if it does, counterfeit. Now, back to our question. Why don't we see more miracles? Some say miracles have ceased. Usually they base it on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what I was taught in the Baptist church that I was a part of, and I'm not knocking the Baptist church. I love my brothers and sisters with my Baptist heritage. I love them. But I discovered what I was taught is not true. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8, love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when completeness or perfection comes, what is in part disappears. And I was taught the completeness or the perfection is the word of God. And once the word of God was completed, God's no longer doing miraculous things. But that's not what the passage says. You can't get that out of that passage. Because he goes on to say in the context, we see in a a glass darkly. You put that where we know in part, we prophesy in part. When are we going to see clearly? When are we going to know fully? Not until Jesus comes. Not, not when the Bible was completed. No, when Jesus comes. That's when perfection is, and that's when completeness is, when Jesus comes. That's clear from the scriptures. I mean, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is the spiritual gifts, which are miraculous. And so I discovered the truth about the miraculous and the gifts of the Holy Spirit before I ever experienced it. I studied it. I learned it from studying the scriptures. So miracles haven't ceased. How many have witnessed or experienced some kind of miracle? A miracle. How many? Look at all the hands. There are a lot of hands in every service. So miracles haven't ceased. Why don't we see more? The next one, it's a biggie. And I'm going to again be brutally honest. This next point, I've been doing this a long time. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've been been a Christian now much longer than I was lost. But on this next point, I feel feel this big. And I want to grow. I really want to grow. I want to grow. This next one's a biggie, a lack of faith. Let me just read you some excerpts from some stories in the Gospels. Luke chapter 8. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. They're in the boat, the storm. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And then he asked him this question, where's your faith? Two blind men came to him. They want him to heal them. They want to see. They're blind. Matthew 9. 
When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and asked him, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Matthew 21 records a a story where Jesus is walking with the disciples and he, he goes by this fig tree. It's fig season. The, the fig tree looks like it should have figs on it, but when he goes to pick some because he's hungry, there are no figs. And you know what he does? He curses the fig tree. Next day, they're walking back by the same fig tree. It's withered and the disciples take notice and say, Lord, the fig tree you cursed, it's withered. And here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, and he obviously points out a mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it'll be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, I got to interject here. There is a teaching that is more faith in faith than faith in God. In the camp called the prosperity doctrine, it's there as well, where it's more faith in faith. And if you have faith then you can get the nicer car and you can get the bigger house and you can get the nice clothes and the money and the job and all that. And while I believe that teaching is unbiblical, I also believe we can learn something because at least those people are going, we're believing, we're believing. Mount of Transfiguration, that's what we call it, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He goes up on the mountain. He was transfigured before them. They saw him in all his glory. They come back down from the mountain. The other nine apostles have been trying to cast a demon out of this father's son. They've been unsuccessful. They say, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, this kind of comes out only by prayer. Then the father comes to Jesus, and he says, if you can help us, would you please? And here's what Jesus says. If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, and here am I, and I think I got some more witnesses on this one. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I got to say a couple of practical things here, and I I think they're very practical. Now, we got to know it's the will of God. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but faith has to be exercised. For example, Jesus up in the mountain praying for the disciples, or he's praying, and he sees the disciples there straining because there's another storm. It's the middle of the night. He comes in the third watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. He's walking on the waves in the storm. They see him. They think he's a ghost at first, and they cry out. They think they're going to die, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's me. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water, and Jesus says, come. Now, you got to make sure Jesus says, come. Are you with me? I mean, are you with me? You got to make sure Jesus says go. Every, every uh, tour I've led in Israel, one of the highlights is a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and I do a little Bible study, and I, every time I give an opportunity at the end of the Bible study for anybody that's got the faith to step out of the boat and try to walk on the water. I haven't had one taker, including myself, in all these years. But if Jesus says, come, you got to step out of the boat. And if you don't step out of the boat, you won't walk on water. Now, that real-life story has a ton of applications, and I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be saying to some here today, and you're in a situation, and here's your security. You're in the boat, but God's saying, no, you want to see the miraculous? Step out of the boat. Joshua 3 and 4, Joshua's leading the children of Israel into the land of promise, and the instruction is the priests are to take up the ark of the Lord, and the New Testament tells us we are priests. The ark is the presence and the power of God. They take the ark. The Jordan is at flood stage. They got to cross the Jordan. And here's the instruction. As soon as the priest touch their feet in the water, God will part the Jordan. And the applications for that story are many. Because sometimes God wants to do a miracle, but you got to get your feet wet. You got to do something. 
can't just stand back and watch. Everybody else is doing it. No, you get your feet wet. Do something. Take a step. Take a step of faith and do something. And you watch God. Part of a church community is a theme we see in the book of Acts. It's important to surround yourself with people who are actively seeking Jesus in their everyday life, people who can encourage you and support you in your own walk of faith. You, in turn, get the opportunity to share your gifts and talents with your church family. If you haven't yet found a church in your area, we encourage you to find one soon. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We'd love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Each service contains Bible study, prayer, and worship of our incredible Savior. Hang out for a little while afterwards to meet some friendly faces. Don't forget to shake hands with Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Fellowship at our website, ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, we have a live stream of all of our weekend services. Just visit ccfstpete.church and click on the link in the menu. While you're at our site, you can listen to additional teachings from more books of the Bible by clicking on sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube channel and don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. You'll find the link again at our website, ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for today on The Living Word. May God bless you as you continue to seek Him in your personal life and in your community. Join us again next time for another edition of The Living Word.